What is Cracker Lacking Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you with loads and loads of important NBA talk, rumors, updates, whatever. Before we get started, just a couple housekeeping notes. Uh, first of all, I was implored uh, not to do a video of this, just to do the podcast or to upload it in low definition. So if this comes out in 720p instead of 1080p, you know why. Uh, because my eyebrow and ear are swollen beyond reason. I got new piercings. I'm not dying if you can see that close. Uh, my eyebrow does look a little wonky. I'm seeing in the camera now. But if you can see that close, I'm fine. It's not really that gruesome. But that is why I'm doing the video podcast anyway. Because I'm, I'm just that committed. That's not really a commitment. I'm just doing the podcast anyway because we got to put out content. Um, Please, if this is your first time at this channel, consider permanently subscribing to us on YouTube, like comment on all the videos to help us juice the algorithm. If you've already subscribed recommendations, help us a ton. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast as well. If you just want to listen to the audio version, um, leave ratings and reviews too on Spotify, Apple. I don't care if you use them or not leave the ratings and reviews. Those all help a ton. So thank you everyone who has already subscribed, trying to build up the YouTube and just the podcast channels, grow the community. So if this is your first time, just consider throwing us that permanent subscription. It means a lot. And also very quickly, we've gotten a lot of kind words on YouTube, in Discord, uh, DMs on Instagram and Twitter this past week. And I just want to say thank you again. I try and make it clear that I appreciate all our listeners, even the commenters. I try and engage when it seems like they're being rude or didn't actually watch the video or listen to the podcast. Uh, I really do appreciate everyone and all the kind words mean a ton. I don't know that they're deserved. I don't accept compliments very well, but from the bottom of my black soulless pit of a heart. Thank you. It means a ton. Uh, but let's cannonball into this. We've got Nick Suns, Kevin Durant, Indiana Pacers, DeAndre Ayton talk to get to. Let's begin with Ayton because that sort of is going to segue into everything else that we do. And if, if it looks like my eyes are being weird, it's because I'm going to start timestamping these. I provide timestamps for you guys on YouTube and the podcast um, because it makes my life easier rather than going back and I'm going to do it. So I'm going to try and remember to do it live. With that being said, DeAndre Ayton, uh, it came out that he agreed to an offer sheet, $132.9 million with the Indiana Pacers. The initial reporting was, oh, did he sign it? Did he not sign it? And then all of a sudden he signs it, and then the Suns immediately match. So he's headed back to the Suns on a four-year max, no options or anything. Uh, the Pacers had to clear a little bit of room to get it done. They end up waving and stretching a handful of players, including Dwayne Washington, uh, that's it's an interesting move in the sense that uh well i'm gonna get to the pacers so let's start with Aiden. he's headed back to the suns this is an awkward outcome it's pretty clear that the suns did not view deandre Aiden as a max player uh, in extension talks this past fall um just the way that the season ended season ended their playoffs ended um reporters asked why Aiton wasn't really on the floor during the, well, I guess they weren't really pivotal moments, but barely plays in part of those, uh, their semifinals loss to the Mavericks head coach, Monty Williams says it's internal. Uh, it's external now, given that Pacers offer sheet that the Sun, uh, Suns end up matching. They made the right call and it wasn't a decision by the way, like you match that a hundred times out of a hundred, 101 times out of a hundred, it would be franchise malpractice to make, someone who is a top 10 center. I know people have called him top five. I don't think he's a no-brainer top five center, but he's a pretty comfortably a top 10 center at this point. You don't just let that player walk for nothing. Restricted free agency might be unfair to the players, but it's set up to benefit the teams. And if you don't take advantage of it in this situation, it would have been fucking stupid. Now, 
Robert Sarver, the governor of the Suns, who remains under investigation for creating a hostile, misogynistic, racist, whatever workplace. I don't mean whatever in dismissive sense. I just mean that Robert Sarver is a fucking disaster of a human being. Um, he was the wild card. Would he go into the tax? Um, Phoenix is now comfortably in the tax to resign DeAndre Ayton. It's a little bit different when you're perhaps trading for Kevin Durant, and we will get to the Kevin Durant element of this. But that there, it was a legitimate question: Would the Suns match? I think it was pretty clear to me that they were going to match just from the, from the jump, and I think that was even like there were sort of murmurings out there at the start of free agency, even if, though they didn't want to pay Ayton, that the Suns were going to match anyway if an offer sheet came down the pipeline. So that didn't shock me, but there's the element it, it's twofold. Where do you go from here? And the first and foremost, it's with Aiton. Did they, it feels like they re-signed him, even though everyone knew they were going to match, not to necessarily run it back with this core, but to eventually use him as a trade asset. Aiton cannot be traded until January 15th and he will have veto power over any deal for a full year. Um, so it could take up to that long to move him. I imagine that based off how this played out, he would welcome a trade anywhere midseason once he's eligible. I don't know what the trade market looks like at that point, who is still available. A lot of a lot of stuff still needs to unfold there. But it does feel like that's why Phoenix re-signed him. This doesn't feel like a marriage that's going to be together long-term, no matter what the Suns do the rest of the offseason. How do you smooth over that relationship, specifically with Chris Paul and Monty Williams? Uh, I think Aiton, it's pretty clear that he wants a larger role, and I don't know that he can actually have one there is more self-creation ingrained into his game right now than i think people credit him for he subsists on play finishing and the help of chris paul and devin booker uh the table setting of phoenix's primary ball handlers but like he's also has a nice touch around the basket nice little hook shot game um we've seen some promise not some promise a ton of promises with his footwork when he's going north south or even east west i understand why a team like the pacers wanted to explore that I'm not necessarily the biggest believer in it, but there is more to plumb there. He's also super valuable on defense. And among the many things he does is he's borderline matchup proof as well, which is really tough to get out of someone who's built more like a traditional big. Uh, when you're looking at someone who is truly matchup proof, you're either downsizing uh, or they're someone like a Draymond Green type deal, which in a sense you would still be, be downsizing there. Uh, but to have someone like Aiton who has the size, it's not even like he's bigger uh, then Kavon Looney, like to have that and to be just to be, be able to bring him out or to trust him to be like a helper around the basket, um, to be the primary back line defender. Even like if you watch, like he will call out coverages too. And I'm just, I'm not a defensive X's no savant, but like you can see that at stages. So that's the Suns are going to be really good as long as everything is copacetic. I'm just curious for someone who's been very inconsistent throughout his career. When you look at the thrust, the acceleration, the engagement with which he plays a lot of the times on offense, by the way, it's normally when we talk about players in this scenario, you would bank on it being at the other end of the floor, but it's been a lot of the times on offense. Uh, what, what is he going to do? Uh, he played fantastic basketball this past year. And I think if I was Phoenix, I would have extended him and maxed him out at the time, even if it wasn't for five years last fall. Uh, but can the relationships be prepared? We know him and Mikhail Bridges are good. There was the video of them dancing together. So that's, I'm just, that's really literally what I'm basing this off of. Um, I don't know what his relationship is like with Devin Booker, but there's some tension between Aiton and the organization now. It's just, it's clear. It's it's not sourced. You can just tell. Like, you can just tell. And the way that this unfolded is proof. Uh, do you have to worry about that if you're the Suns? I honestly don't know. 
But that is just going to be something to watch is Aiton's future there. In the interim, though, the worst case scenario now for the Suns is that they've just run it back, essentially, minus JaVale McGee. But they have, um, you know, they have Damian Lee, Josh Okogie. They have some different looks on the wings. They can still be a really good team. With that said, the West is going to be even more of a bloodbath. You have the Golden State Warriors are not going anywhere. Uh, the Mavericks are probably worse. They're worse without Jalen Brunson, but they'll still be hanging around. Um, more to the point, at least one of Denver and the Clippers, if not both of them, are going to be healthier and therefore much better. You have the Timberwolves get a lot better with Rudy Gobert. You have the Pelicans with a healthy Zion and the strides that they made before the end of the regular season and then pushing the Suns to the brink in the playoffs. The West is just going to be really, really tough. And look, the Lakers could be better as well. I think, you know, Sacramento, I don't want to dismiss them. Like they could be hanging around. That's not a team you throw into there. Memphis really shouldn't go anywhere. It does feel like there could be more variance caked into their performance, especially with Jaron Jackson Jr. slated to miss the start of the regular season. But like, it's not going to be easy for Phoenix to have the type of regular season it just did, especially if they even consider maybe conserving the amount of time Chris Paul spends on the floor. Uh, I could envision him saying like a big fuck you to Phoenix if they try to monitor his minutes. He's that type of player. Still, if you're Phoenix now post Aiton, you got to think about the rest of your offseason and how you're going to improve this roster. And it gets harder because you're hung up in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Uh, let's start there with Kevin Durant. A lot of people were under, and I made jokes about this on Twitter, they were under the guise that this DeAndre Ayton contract, offer sheet at the time, ruined, wrecked, imploded the Suns' chances of acquiring Kevin Durant. Uh, while I made jokes about it, I did write about it, and I thought a little bit more about it. I really don't think it does. I think you can make a really compelling case that they're still the favorites to land Kevin Durant if he gets traded. And the, there are a few things that stand out there. One, and this absolutely matters, even though Kevin Durant has four years left on his deal. The Suns are not only one of two teams that have been named, along with Miami, as Kevin Durant's preferred destinations, but they're his favorite spot. I believe it was Woj who had mentioned that. That matters. Like, that is a big deal here because teams just aren't going to give up the, the boat for Kevin Durant if he doesn't want to play for them. Like, that's they're just not going to, nor should they do that, I think, in most cases. You can talk yourself into it, maybe in certain situations, but it's prided on the Nets sort of accepting a package that they're probably not going to be smitten with. Uh, the other thing here is, though, DeAndre Ayton was never mission critical to the return, necessarily, that Brooklyn was getting. They already re-signed Nicholas Claxton. They really like De'Ron Sharp there. They also have Ben Simmons. If he's healthy, they plan on being competitive, maybe rebuilding around him, uh, or at least maximizing him, you're not doing that with another big who doesn't space the floor. And I'm not saying you can't have bigs like that on the roster. Nicholas Claxton and De'Ron Sharp do not space the floor. That being said, you're not going to max out someone who has such overlap with Ben Simmons. That's a worse, like you thought Embiid and Simmons were strained at time on offense. Embiid at least stretched the defense beyond the three-point line capably, consistently, uh, continuously. DeAndre Ayton does not do that. And so, it never seemed like the Nets were really interested in Aiton. Where Aiton was valuable in the Kevin Durant trade talks was can you suss out third, fourth teams, fifth teams, sixth teams, and set up this huge deal where you're sending Aiton to a squad that is in turn sending out assets to Brooklyn in addition to the assets, other assets that Phoenix is giving Brooklyn. You also, while Bayshear compensation would have complicated the matter, um, the fact that DeAndre Aiton counted 
as an outgoing salary at all, it made a couple things more feasible. One, you could take back other money if Brooklyn really wanted to get off of Joe Harris. There were just easier pathways to do it. Not for eight and straight up. I'm just saying building those packages were easier. More importantly, there were scenarios in which you didn't completely decimate your non-Booker, non-CP3 core to get Kevin Durant. Would Aiton, depending on what a team gave up for, for him and send it to Brooklyn, could Aiton and then Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson, plus your entire draft future, could that have gotten the deal done with the Nets? Like, could you have spared Mikhail Bridges? The prevailing sentiment is probably no. That's fair. You might have been able to spare Cam Johnson then. That matters. Or maybe it's just more, or Jay Crowder, who I think still really matters to Phoenix, even though um, his season ended on kind of a lower note. It might have even just been as simple of, oh, the Nets are then more willing to take a Landry Shamit or a Dario Saric as the matching salary or Cameron Payne as part of the matching salary rather than targeting a Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson who have more, way more utility to the Suns. That's where losing Aiton hurts. But Phoenix's best offer, this is their best. I'm not saying this is what Kevin Durant will go for. I'm not saying Phoenix should actually offer all of this. Uh, I would argue it takes most of this to get Kevin Durant, but you have Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder. That gets you to the money you need to send out. I think it's like 35.2 plus million. It's a little bit over 35.2 million you need to send out. That gets you there. And then your entire draft. That is a 2023 pick, a 2025 pick, a 2027 pick, and a 2029 pick. And then you swap, give Brooklyn swap rights in 2024, 2026, 2028. Uh, I have to look at, we would need to look at Brooklyn's own pick commitments because they don't own all these, uh, they don't control most of their draft moving forward. So like, okay, swap rights, and then you owe your 24 pick to Houston. How much does it actually matter? You could stagger it then. So maybe the Suns are sending you a pick in these years, um, 24, 26, when you know you don't have draft picks. And so maybe you're preferring the 24, 26, and 28 picks from Phoenix and then getting swaps in 2025, 2027, and 2029, and 2023. It's less pick equity, but it lines up with years then where you actually have uh, all your, your first round picks. So they could structure it that way. Um, that is absolutely a monster offer if you're Phoenix. And I do think there are teams that can make better offers if they wanted to. I don't know which teams are going to be emboldened to do that. The Heat are the only other squad that we know that's been named as a preferred destination for Kevin Durant. Their best offer of it's of a similar uh, vein is they have Tyler Hero, and then you have to give up Kyle Lowry as matching salary here. No one's talking about that. Uh, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, and then all these other like lower end salaries that doesn't get you there. So unless you're sussing out other teams or Brooklyn is willing to do this where Udonis Heslam is getting signed and traded as this salary. Uh, you need to give him Kyle Lowry in a Kevin Durant deal. Is Brooklyn higher on Kyle Lowry? Is there a team that would want to take Kyle Lowry? How annoyed is he going to be that he just went to Miami? Uh, you could do permutations where the Nets are trading Ben Simmons and uh, Kevin Durant and then making a Bam out of bio. I don't know if Miami's going to want to do that. That really shrinks their, their title window. That is just like not as impressive, even when you're going to include their draft. Um, and they can trade functionally 23, 27, and 29 picks um, if they can broker with Oklahoma City, um, amend the protection so that their obligation to them in 2025 is just conveyed. They can make it unprotected. Maybe OKC is perfectly fine with that and doesn't really need anything or at least minimal compensation to facilitate the deal. Uh, 
that's just not that and swaps is just it's not impressive and it, it gets a little bit more difficult because we just went through it if you're the nets like the swaps in 24 and 26 and 28 28 is fine but 24 and 26 aren't going to mean as much to you because you don't actually control your own first round pick so unless you're going to get another first round pick um from a different team for that year then yeah okay like maybe you could start looking at that they do have which I think really helps this. They have Phillies pick in, uh, didn't they defer Phillies pick this year to 2024, 2027. So they have Phillies 2027 first round pick. That does make things a little bit more palatable with that structure. Uh, the point is, is that I just feel like even with Nikola Jovic, Tyler Hero, and Kyle Lowry, plus your entire draft, I'm not, I'm higher on Phoenix's offer. So of best offer. So of the two teams that are most involved in this, um, you, the Suns clearly have the best offer to me, the best top dollar offer. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's the best offer all around, but versus Miami, no matter how you're going to structure it, Phoenix beats them out. And so now we get into, I think the Raptors are probably the third most prominent team in this just because Masai Ujiri is always lurking and reporting has suggested that they're sort of on the fringes of this. If Kevin Durant's willing to go there, do you include Scotty Barnes? My guess is probably not just because the Raptors would be worried that Kevin Durant even changes his mind. He already changed his mind about Brooklyn, changed his mind about Golden State. From there, your best package becomes, and I'm just going to phrase this as your entire draft. And when I mean that, it's teams are trading four firsts and three swaps, four swaps and three firsts, whatever. They structure it in the years that Brooklyn would want it, but you're trading first-round equity through 2029. Uh, it becomes Pascal Siakam and then draft picks. I think that's a better package than what the Suns would be offering with Mikael Bridges, their entire draft, Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson. Um, if the Nets actually want to compete right away. You know, Pascal Siakam is 28. That matters, but he's an entrenched All-NBA player who you can hold on to long-term. You're getting all non-stars from Phoenix. If you're getting comparable draft equity from Toronto in addition to Siakam, I think that offer beats it out. However, the appeal for Toronto is probably pairing Durant with Siakam and then Barnes. You could make deals then with Fred Van Fleet. I don't know that Brooklyn's going to have a ton of interest in him, especially until the, the Kyrie Irving uh, stuff but like is resolved. He is still on the team, by the way. Now all of a sudden you're looking at Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, maybe Toronto's willing to throw in Precious Achua, and then their entire draft. I've gone back and forth, and I had a discussion with someone about this on Twitter. I don't know which package I would prefer in that instance. I'd probably trust shorting. I like the players coming out of Toronto more in the aggregate. I think Mikhail Bridges would be the best player of, of anyone being moved. But OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. in the aggregate, to me, are better than Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, and Mikhail Bridges in the aggregate even though Mikael Bridges is the best of those five players. That's just where I'm at. I'd prefer to short Phoenix's draft future, though, just because Kevin Durant's entering his age 34 season. Chris Paul's entering his age 37 season, I think it is. So those two are going to age out at some point. You still have Devin Booker and now DeAndre Ayton, who are super young. But there's, there's a little bit more combustibility there. The Raptors have also shown the ability to be resourceful in the draft and the way that they acquire players. I think the Suns' front office for a lot of points has been underrated, but as long as Robert Sarver is in control of that organization, I also think they're more of a wild card than Toronto. So I, if I'm the Nets, I'd probably prefer Phoenix's offer in that case. This is where things get weird though. Beyond that, 
what what is the market for Kevin Durant? I'm even assuming that the Toronto, without knowing Durant wants to be there, will give up its entire draft plus OG and Gary Trent Jr. I don't, you know, I, I don't actually know that they would. I think their offer, along with other teams, are going to be reflective of whether Kevin Durant wants to go there. Um, and I'm wondering if this move with the Suns, what it really does, because it weakens their Kevin Durant offer ever so slightly, does it sort of force him, convince him to open up his list of destinations? Can you talk yourself into a title window alongside Zion in New Orleans? Do the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, are, are they attractive at all? And do they have enough um, draft assets to cobble together a viable offer without including Darius Garland or Evan Mobley? And so you're just looking at all the picks, Isaac Okoro, uh, you know, the Larry marketing becomes pivotal matching salary there. Uh, Jared Allen should be on the table if the Nets want him back, or maybe you're sussing out a third team. Um, Akbaji, of course, who they just drafted the 14th overall pick. Uh, you're including just everything. Is a Colin Sexton sign and trade a part of that? Who knows? Brooklyn is really, it's tough with the hard cap. Another reason why they were probably never going to, um, Another reason that they were probably never going to wind up trading for Aiton, by the way, just because the hard cap is so difficult to work. Uh, does that and does that situation, assuming it works, even appeal to Kevin Durant? Are the Nets so committed to winning now that the Bucks said, "Hey, we will give you Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton," and I think they can trade a 2029 first and a 2028 swap? I will I will double check that. These teams are trading out picks so far into the future; it gets hard to keep track of. Yeah, they could give you a 28 swap, a 29 first round pick. And Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, who I know is injured. Are you so committed to winning now that you would do that deal? Uh, if you're Brooklyn, I I doubt it. And does uh, does Kevin Durant want to play with Giannis where he won't be the best player, the clear best player on the team? I would also doubt it. Uh, can Washington build something around Denny Avia, Johnny Davis, Filler, or Kristaps Porzingis, however you want to frame it, and then every first-round pick and first-round swap that they can? Uh and then Durant teams up with Bradley Beal, goes to Washington. We know that that appealed to him in the past. Uh, I don't know. The Golden State Warriors are apparently a real threat, according to ESPN Brian Windhorse. Uh, how much draft equity do they have to attach to Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and James Wiseman versus how much draft equity are they willing to attach to some combination of those players? I think you might be able to keep Jordan Poole just because would Brooklyn want to pay him long-term? Uh, at the same time, I think you would need to be more invested in keeping Kaminga. That's not happening. Or perhaps more likely Moses Moody, just because you need more wings in that scenario. Again, how much draft equity are you willing to trade out? And it also, by the way, does absolutely matter how much all of those younger players intrigue Brooklyn because the Warriors have already traded their, their first round pick to Memphis. It's top four protected. And so they'd be looking at, they could do a 23 swap, uh, a 25 swap, a 26 first, and then a 28 first. So they could really, they can only trade two physical first round picks, uh, conditional first round picks. That's like, are they willing to do that? Are they willing to go 26 and 28 first round picks to Brooklyn? How many swaps need to be included in that? They would be a team that I think can talk themselves into it just because they won the championship. Durant's been there, done that. Is he willing to come back though? And again, be sort of Steph's sidekick or have to deal with that discourse again, where people are wondering whether he is, Steph sidekick. Uh, I have, I have no idea. Could Memphis get involved? Are they willing to include Jaron Jackson jr? If not, does Desmond Baines, Ayer Williams and a, a shit ton of draft equity stack up with what Phoenix is offering that we just went over, or even Miami and Toronto's best offers right now. The scope of KD's market isn't nearly large enough to deem these sweepstakes wide open. Um, and 
assuming Sarver doesn't whine about paying KD, Aiton, CP3, and Booker at the same time, which would be the end result of this Aiton contract, the Suns might actually still have the best available package to the Nets. But their viability in this equation has always been largely predicated on Duran wanting them and basically no one else. And so if that Aiton contract does anything, it increases the likelihood that Phoenix can't cobble together the best trade proposal for Kevin Durant, even if ever so slightly. And that KD, by extension, will be convinced, perhaps forced, to broaden the currently narrow market he has created for himself. At this moment, though, I would still say the Suns, if Kevin Durant is going to be uh, traded, they should be the favorites to land Kevin Durant still. I don't think the DeAndre in contract changes that. This is all to say the Nets could still be comfortable keeping Kevin Durant. And in that case, the offseason don't stop. Phoenix has to get better. Uh, it's still They can't just run it back without Kevin Durant. But you also want to hedge your bets against, well, if this leaks into the season, we don't want to completely torpedo uh, a trade package for him. Um, you could theoretically, maybe the Nets would all of a sudden be interested in Aiton, or you could move him on January 15th to another team that sends assets to Brooklyn. So you can afford to give up something here, but you need to figure out some upgrades. And it would be nice to have another type of ball handler. You're not going to get anyone as good as Kevin Durant. I think what would be a little bit more realistic right now, and it's not happening via free agency. They have their mini mid-level exception to spend. I just don't know who on the market is worth spending it on. You're not going to, I doubt you talk yourself into Dennis Schroeder. You have campaigns on the roster. So I don't, I don't know that you go down that uh, tunnel. I don't think you're definitely not paying Eric Bledsoe. It's probably easier to just default to upgrading the four, unless you think that filler in the form of, you know, Sarich and do you view Landry Shamit as filler at this point can get you Eric Gordon. Uh, that would be someone who would really help your, your bench play there. Or maybe you're viewing instead of, you know, like Tory Craig could be used as filler. Uh, maybe even Cameron Payne is part of that deal. If you know you're getting Eric Gordon, there's not really a point guard though. That'd be something to consider, but it does feel like just defaulting to the four. And then how much do you have to give up to make that upgrade? You can trade some expendable salary filler, even Cam Johnson, I think without torpedoing a future offer for Kevin Durant mid season. If you think that's where that's where this ends um, some names that sprang to mind for me, I thought about, I briefly thought about Marcus Morris, but then realized that would never happen. I thought about Boyan Bogdanovich in Utah because the Suns can lean. Can they can afford to lean? If you're keeping Mikhail Bridges and you have eight in there, and even CP3 and Devin Booker's gotten a lot better, uh, you can afford to play Boyan Bogdanovich at the four, where he's probably best suited at this point anyway. Uh, his salary is steeper. I also think he's an expiring contract, so that makes it more valuable to the Suns because they don't have to worry about this money leaking in. Um, to the following season. And also the fact that his price point is a little bit high. It's at 19.6 million. Utah's probably not expecting like crazy equity for him. And so if you can go with, you know, Sharich and like Tory Craig and then a draft pick, uh, I think you might actually need another salary in there. I can't remember what Sharich is making this season. 9.2 million. Uh, throw Tory Craig in there. You're at 14.3 million. Uh, that is not going to get you because you're a tax team to, so it'd have to include another smaller contract in there, or you could just straight go Landry Shamit uh, attached to Dario Sharich. Um, that's not a trade. My point is maybe it costs you like next year's first round pick, which I don't think is going to be super valuable to Kevin Durant trade. Anyway, what it does do is that keeping it allows you to um, like it's, 
more flexibility with how you can trade future picks. I don't know what you attach to this, but are you willing to do Sharich and Craig in another salary or Sharich and Shamit for Boyan Bogdanovich? And maybe there's a small asset caked in there. I don't know. Like, is a second round pick going to be enough to get it done or a couple of seconds? I honestly don't know. If it costs a 2023 first round pick, I'm probably insisting that Landry Shamit's in the deal. At the same time, like he could be low key valuable to them as a knockdown shooter. But Boyan Bogdanovich is a name that's bringing to mind. I would love this name, but I think what it does is you really have to get after it with an offer. And I'm not saying it would take you out of the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, but it'd make it a lot harder because you're going to give up first round equity, probably in addition to Cam Johnson. Like maybe it's Cam Johnson at a first. Keldon Johnson would be incredibly interesting on the Suns. Um, if they were just looking for someone who could put raw pressure on the rim, he shot well on catch and shoot threes last year. And he's not the best defender, but he can be moved around a lot. Um, he's still on his rookie scale deal. You never see those types of contracts really moved. Then again, the Spurs are going full rebuild. And if they don't think he's, you know, he, if he hits the the restricted free agent market next year, instead of signing an extension, he probably gets 20 plus around eight, like 20 plus million a year. Maybe I'm wrong, but there's like 15 teams almost that could have really major cap space next season. Um, and he's just coming off of what was a, a really well-balanced year. Can you get what is Cam Johnson in this year's first? Like, does that even get you in the conversation or does it take a, a lot more? Uh, if it does, then maybe you move on. Are you willing to include more picks to keep Cam Johnson in that scenario? I don't know why you do that, just because then you have Kelvin Johnson, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder. Um, that is a name, though. If you, uh, it would be tough to toe the Kevin Durant line, but if you are going to move DeAndre Ayton midseason anyway to get more assets and maybe just a cheaper big, then yeah, that's, that's something and someone that I think you could definitely consider. Uh, there are just like not a lot of great cheaper options here. I know fans have sort of latched on to OG Ananobi. I, I just don't see Toronto moving him outside of them getting a star back. And so are you helping? Like, is this a trade where Kevin Rand is going to Toronto, but the Nets don't want OG. And so Phoenix is actually helping uh, Toronto get Kevin Rand and they're taking on OG to send a, a, a bunch of stuff towards Brooklyn. I, that just feels incredibly unrealistic. I thought about Kyle Kuzma a little bit. Would the Wizards be open to moving him, knowing he has a player option for next year and will likely hit free agency? Uh, I do not know. There's always the possibility of a reunion with Kelly Oubre Jr. He does add a different dynamic to your offense, but I don't. he's not more valuable to me than a Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson on offense. It's not even close for Cam Johnson, frankly. On certain nights, maybe Jay Crowder, but consistently, that's not um, something that I would at all be prepared to bet on. And so the cheaper options like get pretty slim after that. Uh, I thought briefly about like just pairing Miles Turner and DeAndre Ayton, but that's just not what the Suns need or what you're looking for. Uh, is there like a different deal that the Clippers would do because they have so many of these wings? But if you're not going to trade for Marcus Morris, I'm assuming there's a lot of you know just ill will between him and the Suns organization. Batum and uh, Nick. Uh, Batum can't be traded right now after resigning. Ditto for Amir Coffee. That's just something you're you're sitting on. Norman Powell would be really fun on the Suns uh, to bring that downhill element, but you probably want someone bigger. You're not playing him at the four, having Mikhail at the four while while playing him. Uh, so, like th that gets weird. Uh, There's just really like Jared Vanderbilt is a name in Utah. If they're going to move him. Uh, that's going to be more defense oriented though, and I, I would like to see probably Phoenix go a little bit more if it's not offensive oriented, just someone who's a, like has more functional diversification in their overall game than a Jared Vanderbilt, again, who 
can be fantastic on defense. So Boyan Madonovich and, and Keldon Johnson are the, the two names right now that I have circled. You could still go with a Larry Nance Jr. if you want to play with him and eight together. I don't know why the Pelicans, given the trajectory that they're on, why they would want to give up Larry Nance Jr. at the moment. I feel like they're more likely to extend him. I feel the same way, by the way, about Harrison Barnes. Everyone always sort of mentions him as this trade target, but from the moment they acquired Domas Simonis, I just think he's too critical to making the offense work, even with Keegan Murray there. So I've said this many times, it feels like they're just more likely to extend Harrison Barnes than, than actually trade him. So that's kind of where I land on that. Uh, and like, yeah, you know, it's, it's slim pickings thereafter. I mean, other than a Keldon Johnson, like the Spurs don't have, do you want Doug McDermott? If you're Phoenix, I don't think that accomplishes what you're looking for. Um, you know, Thaddeus Young is technically still trade eligible, you could go that route if you want to skew all defense. Not an upgrade to me over Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson in the aggregate. Uh, probably the best defender of the bunch, certainly more so than Cam. Uh, but even I would rather put Jay Crowder on on some of those certain wings. So those are some additional trade targets that the Suns can look at if you know while trying to plan for this Kevin Durant thing dragging out, or in the event that he goes elsewhere, they pull out of the sweepstakes. They can't afford to stamp Pat. We really do need to talk about the Indiana end of this. I thought this was fascinating because this had to be so far gone for the Pacers to go with the offer sheet. They're a team that with Kevin, uh, team president Kevin Pritchard, Kevin Pritchard, excuse me, um, and then team governor Herb Simon have liked to operate. I don't even want to call it in good faith, but they prefer to, they will go out of their way to make deals worthwhile for their you know peers slash competitors. We saw it. Most recently, they turned the Malcolm Brogdon transaction when they acquired him a few years back into a sign and trade. I, I doubt, I, excuse me, I have no doubt that they wanted the same to happen with Ayton in large part because they were probably worried the Suns would match. The hoops that they jumped through by waving players and then going the offer sheet route at all. Yes, some of that was contingent. They needed to wait for the Malcolm Brogdon deal to go through so they had um, a pathway to enough cap space so he could be maxed out. But Normally, when you give the offer sheet, you at least think there's a semi-realistic chance the team won't match. I don't know if that was the case in this instance. And maybe it was. Maybe they were trying to call Phoenix's bluff because Phoenix didn't want to do sign-in trades, or they were just trying to delay the process as long as possible until hashing out the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Maybe that pissed off Indiana, and they decided to, to throw the offer sheet. That's that's fine. I'm not of the mind that you need to help other teams out. And so even though you, it costs you some players and you're going to have some money, low end money on the books for the next three years because of those wave and stretches, it's not the end of the world. And if anything, you inf inflated Phoenix's payroll and you hurt again, ever so slightly their chances of getting Kevin Durant. Um, and uh, this also could have been, I believe if I'm not mistaken, Miles Turner and Deandre Ayton share the same agent. So this could have been a solid for the agent who can maybe smooth things over with Miles Turner, who is just forever in trade rumors. Uh, I don't know if he's somehow destined to retire a pacer and even at his, you know, Jersey retirement ceremony or whatever, if he would get one, he would still be on the trade block. I'm curious to see what happens with him. Now you can play him with Jalen Smith, who has been guaranteed a starting spot. That is uh, interesting. I, I just, I can't believe that someone like Jalen Smith has been guaranteed a, a starting spot. So so publicly, I know he played well towards the end of last year, but that probably speaks more so to Indiana wanting floor spacing and them just not having these true wings on the roster. Like there's Benedict Matherin and like, who's your other wing? Is it is O'Shea Brissett kind of skews more swing man? 
Um, Buddy Heald is just more of a guard. Aaron Naismith's more of a guard. Same thing with Chris Duarte. Um, so they could use more wings. Is Miles Turner the method by which you acquire those wings? I do think that we'll hear a lot more Miles Turner rumors now, even though I think um, the Pacers could absolutely use him. I had no real issue, and I had this. We talked about this on a previous podcast. If you need to go back, I think it's just a couple episodes ago. I don't know that I would have wanted to actually have DeAndre Ayton on this team with max money, but I think that the books in Indiana are flexible enough. Tyrese Halliburton is already good enough, and I'm all the way sold on Benedict Matherin. His on-ball skills are just... I didn't expect um, them to be so well-polished already. I'm almost excited that the uh, Pacers don't have Ayton because I could see Carlisle trying to slow things down and get Ayton involved with self-creation touches more. And now, with the current structure of the roster... It's set up to make sure that Benedict Matherin, insofar as Carlisle can stomach it, will get maximum uh, flexibility, maximum agency over the offense. I also sort of like the idea of, I don't really know what to think of Goga Batadze. It has like some bright moments, but I like the idea of maybe giving more run to Isaiah Jackson, who's like, oh, there might be some shifty floor spacing there. Um, and can he be a defensive disruptor? Uh, so I, I'd like to see more of that. I do think it'd be they do need to acquire some wings, and I'm just curious if you don't plan on paying Myers Tur Miles Turner after this season, uh, he's not the type of player where if you let him walk, it'd be franchise malpractice. You can always explore sign and trades next year as well, but you should really look to move him uh, at this point. Like you have over 30 plus million in cap space, so you can make it a lopsided trade. I think Lakers fans are probably slobbering and think uh, if they offer Russell Westbrook plus first, they get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. I don't think Buddy Heald's on the best deal. Uh, two years, $40 million, essentially. Uh, a little bit over $40 million. But if you're going to slightly overpay for someone, it might as well be an elite shooter. Uh, so even having Russell Westbrook for one year is more taxing financially and even functionally uh, than having Buddy Heald for two. So if you were to get... Uh, look, and I know this is going to anger Pacers fans. I'm not saying they should do this. If the Lakers are going to legitimately give you a 26 and 28 swap plus 27 and 29 first for buddy healed and miles Turner. And all you have to do is stomach Westbrook salary and you could buy him out. And yes, you have dead money on the books. I would not stretch him. I want to make that clear, but you're in rebuilding mode. Anyway, I would consider it. I just don't think the Pacers want to go the bottom out route again, which is why Aiton was so appealing. He's someone who firmly fits their timeline, but also helps you win now. Turner, I think he can help you win now. Probably he's underrated on the defensive end still when you look at his body of work, when he's healthy, but also what he did with Sabonis on the court. Uh, he makes you a lot better, but Aiton was a, a more dynamic offensive... Is, I say was, wow. Is a more dynamic offensive player. So I don't know where you necessarily go from here, but they are set up to do whatever they want. This is not the, the end of the world. They can take on bad money attached to picks. Maybe that money... They hold on to most of it, and it's more valuable around the trade deadline where rosters aren't as flexible and there aren't teams. like There aren't teams with cap space right now, but that's even more of an anomaly at the trade deadline. right? It's the Spurs and the Pacers at this point, and that's it. So you're set up to get more assets if you want to go that way. Um, and you still have Miles Turner, a very capable fringe star center in this league. There's a chance that this team is just more competitive than we think because of how good Tyrese Halliburton is. Maybe Benedict Matherin just looks so good right away. If you're going to trade Miles Turner, getting into prospective destinations gets a little, a little wonky. Um, I don't, I don't like know what is the ideal landing spot for him anymore. Uh, OKC having Chet Holmgren that probably uh, rules them out. 
Charlotte, Mark Williams, and Kai Jones, in addition to Mason Plumlee still being there, does that rule them out? Uh, Dallas got Christian Wood, signed JaVal McGee, has Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba. They're not going to, they don't have a ton of assets anyway. The Clippers, like, you could get to a point where the Clippers are giving you one of their distance first for Miles Turner. Like, Marcus Morris plus a 28 first for Miles Turner. Uh, you could do that. Would that interest the Pacers? Mar Marcus Morris is a player that actually helps you. And then maybe you go out on the cheap and find another big. I think that would be something the Clippers are more likely to consider in the middle of the season, uh, depending on how Zubots works out. And they got him on what I think it was a three-year, $33 million extension. So that kicks in next year. They might not have interest in having to then pay Turner as well. The Lakers, we certainly know, but what does that look like? Memphis has Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams. I'd be very curious to see a Triple J and Miles Turner front court. Uh, and Memphis maybe doesn't have to give up too much equity or, or even prospects to get Turner since he's expiring. I'm not sure how motivated they'll be to do that deal with um, Steven Adams still on the books and or while Triple J is is injured. Uh, I would just argue if you think he's going to miss substantial time, I think his timeline is four to six months, so you don't think he'll miss most of the season. It would be kind of intriguing to go after Turner um, just to have that really impactful defensive player who Steven Adams was great for them last year. Turner's just going to be more mobile uh, as just a rim protector. And even when you pull him beyond the paint, uh, I could see Miami getting a little frisky in the Turner sweepstakes and trying to pair him with Bam saying, you know, our half court offense is always going to be strained. Is there a pathway to them getting Turner without giving up Tyler hero? And I think there might be just because, they have a bunch of future firsts that they can offer. So let's say they give you two firsts and a swap and then Duncan Robinson for Miles Turner. Are you saying no? That's probably not the best use of their draft equity because they have Bam. Just something to throw on the table. I don't think the Bucks have the juice to get into this. Uh, Minnesota doesn't need a big. I still like the idea of Turner on the Pelicans more so than Jonas Valanciunas. They might think they can get the best of both worlds because Larry Nance Jr. is there as well. And so why give up salary filler and picks and prospects to get Turner? if you can just keep Valanciunas and if the Pacers, maybe they would want Valanciunas. He seems like a big that Carlisle would appreciate it, appreciate, but maybe they don't want him uh, just because he doesn't necessarily fit their timeline. His contract is short though. And he's not, you know, Jonas Valanciunas isn't that old. I think he's, what is he only 28? I will, I will look that up now, but there's like a chance where you're still left with, I guess, three of Turner, Nance, Jackson Hayes, and Jonas Valanciunas not to mention Zion, that gets a, a little bit awkward here. And Valanciunas is 30, so he is older than I thought. I, I take that back. Um, the Pelicans, though, like, if it was the cost was cheap enough, I would love Turner there. Make no mistake. Um, the Knicks no longer, like, they sign Hartenstein. Uh, they have Mitchell Robinson under contract. They have uh, Jericho Sims they just signed. Orlando, no, they have enough talent up front. Phoenix, having Aiton, don't think they're going to want Turner unless they think you know, there's a trade to be made there, but then you're you're that's costing you some of your Kevin Durant equity. Maybe you still believe you're going to trade eight in midseason, and so having Turner there, both of them play them together, some stagger them, some. Sacramento has Tomas Sabonis, that would be hysterical. Portland has Yusuf Nurkic, Philly has Joel Embiid, the Spurs that's not their style anymore. Uh, Utah would be just a no. They're they're about to be rebuilding. Washington, I'd probably prefer Turner there over anything they have defensively, including Kristaps Porzingis, but they have Gifford and NKP. The, other, the team that I would circle here, I guess there's two. There's there's Chicago. I just don't know that they have the motivation to go from Vooch to, to Turner, and you probably have to give up Vooch in this deal if it's happening in the offseason because you're not giving up 
Patrick Williams, but you could do something like Kobe White and Vooch and and picks. Uh, or maybe are you giving up Io Desunmu in this deal? I don't think you're giving up Patrick Williams. Would you be willing to give up Lonzo Ball if the Pacers really wanted him? Uh, or and look, the injury news on him has not been great. Are you willing to give up Alex Caruso in that deal? I would look at the I would look at the Bulls if and Indy should be willing to take on Vooch. There's just one year left on his deal. Maybe you can get value for him at the deadline. The other team though that could actually send back wings uh, would be Toronto. And I'm just curious as to whether, you know, they seem to want a big, I know they have Thad and Chris Boucher and Siakam. They have Ananobi who can defend fives and, and Barnes. I would argue they don't need to do this, but if they're really dead set on getting a big, is there a Turner for Gary Trent jr. Framework there? I don't think you're getting Ananobi for Turner. He has more time left on his deal and he's the, the more valuable player. You would have to include other stuff. Uh, is there even a three-way, deal to be made where it's Colin Sexton gets signed and traded to Indiana. Do they now have interest in him with Turner out? Uh, I think he's his fit with Tyrese Halliburton is, is perfectly fine. You've Sexton go to Indy, maybe Gary Trent jr. Go to Cleveland and then miles Turner going to Toronto. Um, Gary Trent jr. Is probably a little bit more valuable than Turner, but he's going to be a free agent next season. Toronto likes sort of these, you know, Turner's an actual seven footer. So he doesn't fit there. Your typical mold. Cleveland absolutely needs Gary Trent Jr. I would give up more than just Colin Sexton for him, by the way, too. So maybe that's a way for Toronto to get just more at, like, are they getting stuff and Miles Turner for Gary Trent Jr.? That'd be interesting to consider. And uh, Gary Trent Jr. would be fine in Indiana, but I think that they need more of a, like a, a wing type player or, a playmaking guard. I like it. Maybe they just prefer Gary Trent Jr. to Colin Sexton. So if you're going to get, if he's going to be available in a miles Turner talk, but that's just something to consider. Maybe they try and go to the Colin Sexton sign and trade route or just sign him out. Right. Because they have the cap space anyway, uh, because they don't need to send anybody out to take on his salary. And then that still leaves you with the, the Turner conundrum. So I think Indy is still set up to be really flexible. And I respect that. And I think they made the right call of what they did last season, where they, they didn't tear everything down. But by moving Sabonis, who was the nerve, the nerve system, the nerve center of your offense, and kind of the way that you were building out your team, by moving him, you agreed to go in a completely different direction, if not outright rebuild. You're you're set up to do that. You can remain flexible. You can try and be aggressive and add immediate talent, uh, and you can still capitalize on Turner's value. You're probably a team that's going to be you and San Antonio are going to be circled on everyone's list if there's a John Collins trade, if there's a um, a Kevin Durant trade, if there's a Donovan Mitchell trade. I thought momentarily, should Indy go after Donovan Mitchell? You you have Chris Duarte and Benedict Matherin and then picks. Like, I would love a Donovan Mitchell Halliburton backcourt. You try and keep Turner in that scenario. Uh, it is rumored that the Jazz want draft picks over talent, so maybe there's a way to structure it that you don't give up Matherin, but I, I really don't think there would be. That would not be indie style that and they're not going to mortgage their entire draft and so you're looking at using duarte isaiah jackson and benedict matherin some combination if not all three as the primary outgoing um appeal prospects attach some salary to them draft picks and you get donovan mitchell i wouldn't hate it but then you run into the issue of he's three years away from free agency does he want to be here uh but they would be just like if we're talking about sneaky teams i went over donovan mitchell trade destinations and uh I think our last podcast, if not two podcasts ago, that would be, that would be wild. You want to talk about a sleeper. 
I don't really have much to add for the Pacers other than I think they're still going to be a fascinating team to watch for the rest of this offseason. And I don't – we could talk about the order of operations that went into um, this eight and stuff. I think they took their swing. That's fine. They're, they're not any – much worse off. If you were banking, if you thought you were 90% sure that Aiton uh, wasn't going to be matched by Phoenix, then yeah, this is a blow. You went into this though, in all likelihood, knowing that you probably weren't going to get him. And so you were prepared for this. They're going to be a team that I believe can still can and will be very active before the start of next season. And just super flexible to do a number of different things, travel a number of, of different directions. So Indy Pacers fans, Pacers players, you're fine. Tyrese Halliburton is the business, and I am so excited to watch Benedict Matherin play. Our final topic here, the New York Knicks. Uh, they're still embroiled in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. Ian Bagley uh, recently reported in a video that Utah asked about a package. This was before he signed his contract, obviously. That included Mitchell Robinson, other players, and at least three picks. I don't know. We don't know what those picks were. We don't know what um, of the other, who the other players were. Um, I'd be shocked if, if they were the wording of at least three picks, I'd be shocked if it was only three picks and then other players on top of Mitch. And if it was that they were probably asking for every young player in IQ, RJ, uh, Quentin Grimes and Toppin. I don't know where I land on this. I had very spirited debate with people on Twitter. I'm firmly in the camp that you make this type of superstar trade when you already have another star in your employ and the two way, two best ways to get that star used to be the draft or free agency. It's no longer free agency. Players are signing, figuring out ways to get out later. Um, the lucrative extent, the way that extensions are set up, uh, if they're not being moved, they're just signing the, the extensions. So your best chance of getting that player is through the draft. The Knicks seem like they're trying to skip that initial step. And look, I love RJ Barrett. There's no one on the roster, including him, that profiles as Donovan Mitchell's equal right now. Maybe RJ Barrett turns into him, but I'm a big believer of you need to have that player first. And just because you signed Jalen Brunson and we're not going to be bad enough to be in typical cornerstone territory, I don't think that excuses, oh, we're going to give up the farm for Mitchell. And I don't even know what that looked like. Uh, there was a rumor floating around. I don't know if it was, I saw it aggregated by Tony Jones from The Athletic um, or from an aggregator site citing him. I think it was like uh, reputable, but that the Jazz wanted six first round picks in addition to Quentin Grimes and Miles McBride was in there. And I think Toppin and Quickly were there too. That's too astronomical a price to pay. At the same time, if you're the Jazz, you look at all those players I just named, there's not a single cornerstone prospect in the bunch. Uh, I'd argue Quentin Grimes comes closest. So if you're not getting RJ Barrett, you have to play stock in the draft equity um, and then the volume of players that are coming back. With that said, are you really interested in RJ Barrett if you're Utah? Do you want to start off your rebuild by having to commit near max or max money to someone who is not a no-brainer future star in Barrett as much as he's improved? He's never shot um, from the field overall entirely with league average efficiency. The Knicks have inconsistently let him explore his offensive game. The tail end of last year is when we saw the most from him. And while his rim attacks were fantastic, he showed a lot as a passer as well. The spot-up three-point shooting is going to be fine. Do I think he'll ever be this quick tit, quick twitch off the dribble three point, um, three point or jump shooter? Probably not. I think he can be a better finisher at the rim, but you're still waiting on a lot of these things. I don't like, 
that's not how you're going to want to start your rebuild. And I think that's why he hasn't been mentioned in a lot of packages. It's not necessarily that New York wants to keep him, which they do. And I get it because if you're getting Donovan Mitchell and you have Jalen Brunson, you need defensive talent. And so wings specifically, and you're throwing Quentin Grimes in there already, it's going to be iffy and you need RJ Barrett. He's also your most appealing mystery box where I'm talking about the Knicks skipping a step. He's the pathway to them sort of, if he hits, if he goes boom, uh, he gives you, maybe he gives you the equal to Donovan Mitchell. I'm not saying that every star you acquire has to be able to be the best player on a championship winner. I don't think it means, that's 10 guys in the league or whatever it is. I don't think you need one of those 10 guys to win a title. I think you need two caps lock stars, top 30, 35 players that are equals or one is clearly superior than the other. I think that's what you need. And the Knicks do not have that. I think the path to getting that if you acquire Donovan Mitchell, the second guy, it's a lot harder depending on how much pick equity you've given up. So I I need to see what Donovan Mitchell ends up costing the Knicks because his arrival there feels fait accompli. The Knicks can beat any offer from Miami. I don't think Toronto gets involved with this. Like I don't see Indy really get, jumping uh, into this. It, again, that would be wild though. There are other teams that will sniff around maybe though. So we can keep an eye there. But the Knicks, it, it feels like this is a done deal. I need to see what the price is and what the Knicks are left with. But I've I've asked myself a question a little bit more as I've thought more about this. If you're the Knicks, would it make sense to trade R.J. Barrett to the Jazz if it saved you draft equity? I'm not trying to over-romanticize draft picks, but I'm, I'm genuinely asking. You can comment on YouTube. Let me know in, in our Discord. That's in the podcast description, the YouTube description. What's more valuable if the Knicks are planning on getting Mitchell and then luring the other star, which as of right now, that other star is not coming via free agency because that's not how this works. So you would want to have enough trade assets left over to acquire a star via that trade, which is what the Nets essentially did. They got Kyrie and KD without decimating their depth, their asset pool, and were able to trade James Harden. The Knicks have enough picks to where, depending on what they give up, they could still have the ammo to then go out and get the next guy uh, hopefully a, like a, like a really good wing that wants out or that a team who's shifting directions decides to trade. Uh, I don't know who that player is. I don't want to get into trying spotting who that player is, but that's just the type of player they could be on the, the lookout for. Would it make more sense? What if, what if I said, what if I told you it's RJ Barrett, whatever. And I'm not going to mention the main set. Like if they have to, if the Jets have to take on Rose Fournier, whatever that permutation is, I'm I'm genuinely asking here. RJ Barrett and you're keeping Quentin Grimes and you're giving up Obi Toppin and then you're giving four firsts. There's no swaps. There's there's nothing. Uh there's no swaps. It's just four first round picks. I don't know what those first round picks are. You have Milwaukee's, Washington's, um, Detroit's at the moment, those future conditional ones. You have all your own moving forward. You have the Mavericks 2023 pick versus giving up swaps and first round picks that amount to six or seven, just comparable to what Rudy Gobert got. And then on top of that, IQ, Toppin, Grimes, maybe McBride is in there. I'm, I'm genuinely asking. The other way to frame this is what is more valuable? Having, let's say, two to three extra first rounders and Quentin Grimes in future trade talks or RJ Barrett on his next deal. There's a case for RJ Barrett just because he will be the more expensive salary in those scenarios, it becomes easier to match money. You don't have to ask other teams to give to take on a Julius Randle or an Evan Fournier, depending on whoever you're left with, or or Jalen Brunson. That'd be that'd be that'd be a fucking trip. 
I'm I'm almost undecided, and I don't want to say I lean RJ. And I, I also don't think it's going to become an issue because I don't think the the Jazz value RJ like that because of his contract situation. That's and knowing the direction in which the Jazz are headed. But it's an interesting thought exercise for the Knicks. If if they were willing, if the Jazz were willing to cut down the draft equity that's coming back to them, I'm not opposed to moving RJ Barrett for Donovan Mitchell. Now, if I'm the Knicks, I'm not trading for Donovan Mitchell. I want to make that clear. This isn't Knicks for clicks. I'm not trying to troll them here. That's reasonable minds can disagree. And that's that's fine. If you think they already signed Brunson, they've started skipping their steps. You might as well optimize this window. Donovan Mitchell is a bona fide top 30 player in certain seasons. He's a borderline all NBA player. So I'm not saying he tops out as a top 30 player, but uh, maybe he improves on defense. I'm not, I'm not a big fan defensively of the Brunson Mitchell uh, backcourt. You can still make it work. Robinson behind you, Barrett, you have another wing in there, like during the non Julius Randall minutes. Uh, so again, I'm not even, I'm not necessarily advocating for anything, but if, if you're the Knicks, this is what I'm advocating for. This isn't the this isn't the move. This is the this isn't a move that I would personally make under the current circumstances. I would have actually retooled, rebuild, really plumbed the depth of RJ Barrett's game, increased the stock of my draft pick this year, continue to try and get those bites at the apple rather than trading for a star first. I get that the organization doesn't think like that under Leon Rose and never has with really James Dolan in control at all. I don't think that excuses th- them not considering it. With that said, we have to deal with the reality of the situation. They have gone this direction. You have to view, to me, this Donovan Mitchell trade that feels like it's faded complete, like I said. You have to view it as not the move, or at least not the last move. You need to have another accessible pathway to getting an equal or someone who's even superior to Donovan Mitchell if you want to realistically wedge open your title window. The two methods after getting Mitchell by which you can do that, or most realistic ones, would be RJ Barrett turns into that guy or you trade for that guy. Could RJ Barrett turn into that guy? I honestly don't know. And I'm much higher on RJ Barrett than I was after his first season. I want to make that clear. I I still think his defense is underrated and not talked about enough. And that's why if you're the Knicks trying to make the most of now, you want to keep him. With that said, it feels more likely that you would acquire Donovan Mitchell's equal or superior via trade. And in that case, I think while fan bases believe that national pundits over-romanticize or they're masturbatory about first future first-round picks, I do think the mystique, the anonymity, the mystery box element of those first-round picks hold more value than knowing that R.J. Barrett is on your roster and you're a limited draft well. So if you think that this is just a precursor to another trade, another a star that wants to come to New York... Uh, and you have to trade for him. I'm, I would more heavily explore trying to move RJ Barrett to Utah to save equity. Or is there a third and fourth team involved that's willing to send the jazz assets that would save you your own draft equity. That is where I sort of landed. I don't think it's the route that the Knicks go in large part because they don't want to in larger part, because I don't really think the jazz have interest in RJ and I don't want to advocate for it. But if you're really trying to be more methodical and deliberate about how you're step laddering your way to contention from this Donovan Mitchell doesn't get you there by himself right now. And so it's important from the Knicks perspective that you set yourselves up to go and make that move. When that player becomes available, could the cap spike change the way free agency plays out? And so maybe it's just a matter of a star and free agency wants to come to the Knicks. 
sure, that cap spike is not the substantial one. The most substantial one I don't think is going to hit until 25, 26. It's a lot of time between now and then. And the other thing that I, I believe you have to factor in with RJ, there's a chance his value is never higher than it is now. We don't know what he's going to look like in a more complicated pecking order. That includes Jalen Brunson, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and then Julius Randle, I imagine, is still going to be there after this trade. If they get off Julius Randle as part of this trade, there's going to be... Uh, I don't know that I'll walk back any of my takes because I've operated under the assumption that he wouldn't be involved. That changes the complexion of this too. But assuming he's not, there's a chance he gets a little bit lost in the shuffle again. And we saw that this past season when there was Kemba and there was Fournier uh, and, and Julius Randle, of course. The fact that the Knicks wouldn't be so Julius Randle-centric, you trust Brunson and even Mitchell to... Um, streamline RJ Barrett's role and maximize it. And he's going to be a very good off ball player. I want to see him more on the ball. There's a chance though, because of the way he finished the year, because of still the, again, the, the, the mystique, the mystery box element attached to his ceiling that he's never more valuable than he is now. And so that he might not be the, the, the glitziest blue chip prospect or asset. And I hate looking at players as strictly assets. I think RJ Barrett right now is the single most important player in the Knicks organization, even with Jalen Brunson there, because he is, uh, without Donovan Mitchell, he is the Knicks' best chance of actually getting a player as good or better than Donovan Mitchell long-term. Thinking bigger picture though, there's a chance that his trade value is peaking at this very moment, because I don't, I don't know that I trust a pecking order with Randall Mitchell Brunson to maximize RJ Barrett effectively enough on offense to where him on his next deal becomes a very integral part of you getting the next star. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, him on a higher salary actually has a lot of value since it makes money matching easier. And from the Knicks perspective, they're trying to straddle the two lines of it's not just about getting Donovan Mitchell and then maybe we're still sort of rebuilding. It's about getting Donovan Mitchell. We have Brunson and we want to be really good. We know we're not going to get to him now, but we want to be really good. RJ Barrett helps you straddle that line. I just don't know if he helps you straddle the other one, which is better than keeping a lot of your draft equity and maybe even more of some of these younger players like Quentin Grimes and Miles McBride. It all depends on what the final offer is, but I would let me know your thoughts. Again, Discord, uh, my, my Twitter handle is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Get at us with all the social media handles at Hardwood Knox. Um, please remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. It helps us out a ton. And I would love to do more stuff with this. I've been putting out a ton of episodes on YouTube um, and then cutting those up in individual clips for people to watch. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Tell people about us for YouTube. Um, the more success we have there, the more inclined I'm going to be to continue pumping out different types of content, trying different things and spending even more time on this. Thank you to all our listeners, YouTube, podcasts, wherever uh, you're speaking with us. And like I said, I endlessly appreciate all the kind words and it's the listeners um, the new ones, the, the long-standing ones, of course, the Discord OGs that really um, help me enjoy or, or enable me to to keep going with this. It's not it's not a money thing. It's just more of something that I enjoy doing, but it can be hard work. And every single one of you makes it worth it. So I just want to close with uh, thanks once again because I sometimes think that content creators don't thank the people who are consuming their content nearly enough. Until next time, I leave you with a shout out to the one. The only, and you're in for a treat if you've never been here before, Frank Mueller Keene.